It's the age of the digital supply chain, and with it comes greater vulnerability to cyber attack. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. For companies looking to toss out expensive and inefficient manual processes, digitization of the supply chain is being called essential. But translating all of those analog activities into ones and zeros has at least one huge potential drawback. It makes you more vulnerable to hackers and cyber thieves. The moment you place your data on any kind of network, you're creating doors that can be unlocked by bad actors. So how can companies realize the benefits of a digital supply chain while securing it against ransomware, phishing, data theft, and other such intrusions? Today, I'm speaking with two executives of KiteWorks, a private content network for digital communications, Tim Freestone, Chief Marketing Officer, and Patrick Spencer, Vice President of Corporate Marketing and Research. Drawing on the results of a recent KiteWorks survey of corporate executives, They'll share specific and detailed advice on how to shore up your supply chain systems and data in an increasingly digital world. Here's our conversation. Tim Freestone, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And Patrick Spencer, welcome. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to both of you for being with me today. Let me pose the first question to Tim, and then, Patrick, you can chime in if you want to. But, Tim, at least at the outset, do digital supply chains specifically in any way actually make companies more vulnerable to cyber attack? In any way? How about in many ways? Uh, I'll (laughs) add an M to the front of that. Yeah, I mean, look, pre-digital transformation, companies had an easier time of threats and, and protection because they could look at their garden wall it off with network security and cloud security and endpoint security and be relatively safe within the context of how safe one could be. With the introduction of the digital supply chain and the movement of files and data and information to sometimes thousands, if not tens of thousands of vendors, I mean, you're opening yourself up to essentially a perimeter that is untenable by historic methods. So for all the benefits of digitization, and indeed everybody is touting those benefits these days as something the supply chains must do, it certainly does open you up to the possibility of more vulnerabilities. Patrick, you agree with that uh, observation? Oh, certainly. And you have a lot of technologies, which Tim can talk about at greater length uh, in regards to one of your later questions here. But you have these antiquated legacy technologies that just don't have the same level of security controls built into them that we really need during this digital age, and particularly with the supply chain growing at the rate it is. That and the amount of data that's being shared is exponential. So the more data that's being shared, the higher the risk, and then you have these tools that may not have all the appropriate security capabilities built into them that ratchet up risk at the same time. Well, Tim, paint a picture for me of the scope of what a digital supply chain looks like today in terms of the number of connections with external entities. I believe KiteWorks did a survey that revealed the complexity of that. Yeah, and I talked about it a little bit, but most enterprises, we're talking thousands upon thousands of touch points that data moves through to get business done. You've got multiple departments in obviously an enterprise. All those departments have contractors, have suppliers, have vendors, 
all of which talk to each other, move data in and out of each other's environments. Thousands of suppliers in the supply chain moving tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of bytes of data through that supply chain. It's just massive at this point. Yeah, to Tim's be- point, Bob, that survey that you referenced, Bob, we found earlier this year that 90% of organizations said they have over a thousand third parties in their supply chain that they exchange sensitive information with. 50% or nearly 50% said over 2,500. That's huge when you think about it. And you, wow. you don't even know who has access to the data, what they can do with it, who can view it, who can edit it, to whom they can send. You have geofencing requirements as you have data sovereignty cropping up as more and more data privacy laws are passed around the world. The hurdle gets higher and higher. And at the same time, we ask organizations how comfortable you are with your risk management processes when it comes to file and data sharing within your network, particularly sensitive data. And only 25% said that they thought they had the right controls in place and felt that they were managing their risk well when it comes to those third-party communications that take place in regards to sensitive content. Wow, that must create so many doors, so many opportunities for hacking and illegal entry. Can you generalize, Tim, about where the biggest vulnerabilities in digital supply chains are today? I know there are so many, but are there specific types of attacks and vectors and bad actors and situations where supply chains are most open to cyber attack? Yeah, I mean, look, the attacks that are relevant to any individual company just multiply in the supply chain. So the same attacks are happening. So ransomware, data breaches, man in the middle, supply chain manipulation, all of these things are, and insider threats, of course, are happening, but they're happening on a compounded scale, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not as if there's something necessarily new or more that's happening in the supply chain. It's just happening at a compounded rate. And companies have to look at not just their wall, but the walls of every organization they work with. And so that's when you see industries popping up like third-party risk management, where these supply chains and all of the companies in the supply chain are being asked to go through a process to basically take the temperature of their risk threshold, and then companies decide whether or not they want to do business. But the surveys and the processes that third-party risk management organizations go through with vendors in your supply chain is essentially the same thing you would go through within your own organization. It's just not your organization anymore. Patrick, do you see specific vulnerabilities or is it just just so wide in scope that you kind of have to keep your eye on everything? Everything Tim said was applicable. You look at the cause or the the vulnerability that is the type of vulnerability that was breached in regards to some of the breaches that are known today where uh, cyber criminal gangs, rogue nation states were able to get access to data. You find that it's just not one, it's not SQL injection, but it's a multiple number of vulnerabilities that they're tapping into. So you need to be aware of all of them across the board. And at the same time, most organizations have silos of sensitive content communication tools in place. Our survey found that 50%, half of the organization said they had six plus different tools, whether it's email or file sharing, managed file transfer, SFTP, web forms, and so forth in place. And if they're in silos, it makes it very difficult to know what's happening to them to actually govern and track and report on the information that is being shared, who has access to it, who can view it, who can edit it and so forth, it just ratchets up the risk as we've been talking about. 
Well, Tim, again, I asked a question that may be impossible to answer in general terms, but I am wondering when there are successful cyber attacks, do they tend to be the result of either system like security system failure or inadequacy on one hand, general business organizational dysfunction and silos like Patrick just mentioned, or just human behavior not adhering to strict cyber rules that already occur, like bringing in personal devices and plugging them into the network and causing problems that way. Which of those three areas, if not all of them, tend to be the reason why cyber thieves do manage to gain access into supply chains? It's certainly all of them, but you can actually kind of lean into that third one a little bit if you look at what's happening in terms of breaches in the supply chain today, the third one being the human element. I mean, I can't remember, Patrick would, would probably know, but I believe in Verizon's report, phishing was either number one or number two in terms of the vectors that attackers rely on most to get into a network and to get into sensitive data. Phishing, of course, is social engineering and getting human mm -hmm. beings to give up sensitive data. So at the end of the day, people oftentimes are the weakest link in the supply chain and the, the security of that. But certainly all of those are tapped and sometimes sequentially. You use a social engineering to fool a person, then you get into a network, and then you start running some of the other plays to go layer after layer within that network. And a lot of the vulnerabilities that exist actually, in most cases where good security processes and technologies are in place, require a chain of events to happen before you get to the data. But certainly, much of the time, it tends to start with a failure or of a human action, mm -hmm. or lack thereof. Patrick, where are those humans? I mean, sometimes they can be within the organization. But as you guys pointed out just now, so many third parties are involved in digital supply chains. The notorious example of the air conditioning contractor to, <laughs> to target stores, is that a serious yeah. threat where those third parties and people in third parties are making mistakes too? You never know. It's insider threat as well as your third parties, your contractors, your vendors that you do business with, uh, your customers even can obviously pose that risk. And to Tim's point, the data breaches that occur come from multiple different directions. The Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report that comes out every year always has a lot of great insights on that front. In fact, I'm looking at the data from this past year's report is almost three quarters of all breaches are tied back to human error in some form. We always think, well, it's going to occur because of phishing. Well, that's certainly one element, but there are a lot of others, right? You have stolen credentials, you have social engineering, business email compromise, which is a more sophisticated phishing approach. But you even have instances where error happens, where you accidentally send a file to someone that you didn't intend to send it to. You should mm -hmm. never have had access to it in the first place, and maybe they expose it or it simply creates a compliance violation that you got to report to the appropriate regulatory body. So there's a lot of different ways in which these breaches can take place, to Tim's point. I think we can agree that a strong cybersecurity policy within a supply chain or a business starts at the top. But I'm wondering where in the organization should compliance and governance sit? I mean, the two of you guys seem quite knowledgeable about cybersecurity, but neither of you has that in your title. Should there be somebody in the organization, maybe even in the C-suite, who is overseeing the whole thing, or should the responsibility for managing it be distributed to the other organization, or both? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a bit of both, and depending on the industry and the organization itself, we'll make some of those decisions. But 
you're seeing a lot more of titles popping up like chief privacy officer. And much of the role of the chief privacy officer is looking at the entire organization, understanding where PII, PHI, and PCI, all of the things that ultimately end up being the data points that cause ransomware to to actually be effective or to, to be sued or to be out of compliance. It all comes down to the P and the I. So you're seeing a lot more roles of data privacy and, and chief privacy officers. You're also seeing more data protection, very similar in scope, but with a little bit more of a security tint to it. But the narrative here that I'm sort of spitting back to you is the responsibilities from top to bottom, but companies are, are starting to put focus on specific roles that are focused very heavily on the privacy of information and maintaining the privacy of that information when it comes to people. But Patrick, once you have that individual in the C-suite, then you have the challenge of kind of propagating and communicating that message down through an organization to make sure that it gets to all levels of management and below. I take it that that is a big challenge today still, right? That's an interesting question. We have a podcast and we get a chance to talk to a number of security, IT, and risk management leaders out in the marketplace. And some will tell you that you need to learn to speak the language of the business to communicate those risks, to talk about compliance. Others will tell you that the business needs to learn a lot more about security and it's your job to educate them. The answer is probably somewhere in between, I suspect, right? As typically is the case with many issues such as this one. You have CISOs or data protection officers, risk management professionals who certainly must understand the business in order to adequately manage the risks that exist within that organization. But yet at the same time, they have a job to educate the business on what advanced security looks like, what compliance exists, and why it's important to the business and so forth. So that job is not an easy job in these organizations. And it's been interesting to see the maturation of the role of the CISO over the past couple decades. Certainly within the last five years, we've seen the CISO become more and more important within the organization. They now report often to the CEO or even to the board in some instances. A decade ago, 15 years ago, they reported to the CIO. That's no longer mm-hmm. the case. When you say CISO, is that, are you saying Chief Security Officer, or, or what? What's the acronym there? That alphabet soup, right? So yeah, <laughs> really yeah. good at it in the security space, unfortunately. <laughs> but yes, uh, the Chief Security Officer, or Chief Information Security Officer. Yeah, we have to be careful because sometimes CISO can mean CSCO or Chief Supply Chain Officer. So we make sure we have <laughs> our that's right. Yeah, have our terms straight. Okay, guys. <laughs> exactly well. True. Digital supply chains are here to stay, and they're going to be proliferating like crazy in the months and years ahead because it just has to happen. That being the case, I'd like to hear your strategies for ensuring cybersecurity in digital supply chains in 2024. Maybe start with you, Tim. Some specific ideas and strategies. This is a great question. It's a million-dollar question, or it depends on how much a breach costs you. It could be a hundred-million-dollar question. But look, do you have to educate your people and, and do your best with third-party risk management to ensure that the risk is lowered as much as possible in your supply chain? The answer is yes. Should you put a, as much security as you possibly can at the technology layer, meaning within what you own from desktops and networks, et cetera, and, and should you expect that out of your supply chain? The answer is yes. But that's only going to get companies so far, and it's not tenable when you're dealing with thousands of vendors and different types of shadow IT. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the answer has got to be that you put the security layer on the data itself. 
So what you're going to see, I believe, coming up again is a lot more DRM, digital risk management technologies that encrypt data, lock data down so that it's password protected to ensure that even if all of those other things fail, that the data itself cannot be exfiltrated because it is encrypted. So encryption, digital rights management, and then controls on the data versus controls on the technology is also going to be something that needs to happen in order to just scale at the level that it needs to scale in this growing supply chain. Patrick, what ideas do you have on what companies should be doing in 2024? I'd say twofold to boil it all down. We could talk about this for an hour probably, right? But first, there's this concept, Tim referenced it, uh, digital rights management. It's been around for a long time. It means different things in different spaces, obviously. Uh, We believe that it's ready for the next generation of capabilities so that you can control who has access to content, to whom it can be sent, where it can be sent, who can edit it, who can't edit it, You have a full audit trail of what actually happened to that content. So you know that Tim looked at it on December 14th at 2.14, and this is the change he made, or he actually was sent this document, or he sent this document to three people. Two people were in Venezuela, and one person was in Israel, or whatever is the case, right? So you need to have very granular governance tracking and control with the audit logs tied to it, first of all. And then second of all, you must have advanced security capabilities that maybe don't give you a leg up on the cyber criminals who are out there, the bad actors who are seeking to exploit your data, but at least put you on a level playing field. And that means tapping into capabilities such as DLP, data loss prevention, CDR, content disarm and uh, reconstruction, advanced threat protection. You need to have those in place You need to have multiple gates that the cyber criminals must go through in order to actually access data. So they go through one gate and they find that the next gate's locked. So there's a lot of different mechanisms that you can put in place. Number one, digital rights management, next generation. I think we're going to see that in 2024. And then uh, on the security front, we're going to see organizations continue to maturate and evolve the security deployments and particularly implement the advanced security capabilities that are needed to thwart the attacks that are happening today. Zero trust architecture, is that an important factor as well? You didn't mention that. It is, and it's kind of baked into, I almost call it the no-duh strategy, which is when it comes to your network and your applications, obviously you only want to dole out access with least privileges. You don't want the world to be open to accessing these, and you need to always monitor who is doing what with those applications and that network. But the miss on zero trust, which... Patrick and I have been talking about for about for a couple of years now, is zero trust at the data layer. So again, this gets back to the, the digital rights management where you're saying this piece of data, this content, this sensitive information that's going to travel through my thousands of companies in my supply chain, this piece of data has zero trust policies on it. Only Steve, Jack, and Jane can access it in the supply chain, and I'm going to monitor everything they do with that piece of information. So yes, zero trust, but we say bring that zero trust out of the infrastructure and into the data layer. Well, you know, we can only hope we started this conversation by saying that digital technology actually opens you up to more threats, and yet digital technology can also be the solution. That's an interesting uh, way to maybe to wrap it up with some hope. Tim Freestone and Patrick Spencer 
of KiteWorks. Thanks to both of you for that really enlightening discussion about digital supply chains and how cybersecurity can be shored up in them. Thanks so much for your time. You got it. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks, Bob. That was my conversation with Tim Freestone and Patrick Spencer of KiteWorks, talking about cybersecurity in the age of digital supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter or X at SCBrain. And also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time. <laughs>